Gossip Girl and Glee to a level of scrutiny that they definitely deserve, except that there is no Gossip Girl and there is no Glee. So it is summer school. I should have gotten that Alice Cooper song to, uh, to, um, keep Goals out for summer. That is from the continent of Africa, Mr. Ryan Sheely, and joining That's us right. from, uh, from the Brooklyns in New York City, Jordan Stokes. Thanks for having me back, guys. Back, you're you're one just when you thought you were out, they keep pulling you back in. <laughs> That's true. Uh, all right, so uh, these fucking teenagers' summer school. Uh, we decided that we're going to focus on the British television show Skins, which has had uh, two, uh, which has had four series, I think, so far. Isn't that quaint? Yeah. In England, they call seasons series. Um, <laughs> right, that's so quaint. <laughs> and it begins. <laughs> and they, have to, you know, they have to take the lift to watch it on the telly while eating chips. Um, just, um, yeah, uh, just don't tell them you're wearing suspenders because that means something totally different over there. Uh, all right. So, um, Skins, we, we have... Wait, what does it mean? Uh, garter belt. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, because it suspends your stockings, I suppose. I mean, not my stockings, but Sheely's stockings. Yes. Yeah. Uh, That's good to know. <laughs> it makes the, uh, the, like, the why do firemen wear suspenders joke a lot more interesting. <laughs> I guess so. You mean like because the answer is because they're cross-dressers? Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it makes them feel like a woman. <laughs> well, that's the – you know, the Monty Python – the Lumberjack song like depends on that um, – on understanding that, right? Like the last verse is, I cut down trees, I wear high heels, suspendies, and a bra. Oh. Huh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. See, I actually – I like the American version where he's in high heels, a bra, and suspenders, yeah, <laughs> like holding up his overalls. Exactly. That's true. It's you know, it it is a characteristic of fetish lingerie that it's very strappy, and I guess adding more straps to anything, you know, makes it uh, makes it sexier. So speaking, speaking of, of sexiness, sex- sex- yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, yeah speaking of, of teenagers fucking, um, right. So here, here we are. We, uh, we have – in the States, we have uh, series one and two. They're available via Netflix instant streaming. Um, uh, I recommend you watch them before you listen to this uh, episode. We're going to cover uh, series one, episodes one and two, the, um, the Tony episode and the, the Cassie episode, right? Chris dies. <laughs> that Polish girl dies at the end of episode one. Yeah, but – does she? I mean, I guess she dies. I mean, no, it's interesting. I, think, I mean, is that isn't that kind of? Don't they kind of quibble on that? Where it's like, oh, we they got out of the car before they they went off to shag somewhere. I tell you, I went back and and watched, and they very coyly prevent you from knowing whether those two people are in the car still. Yeah, well, I, I probably couldn't get those two actors that day. Wait, who was who was making out with her though? It was the guy that plays. I thought it was Chris was making out with the Polish girl. Yeah, yeah, tiny dick Chris. So right. he's come so back. He, so presumably she didn't die, right? But he, but he does die. Season two. Oh yeah. <laughs> he shot Anu- brain, brain aneurysm. <laughs> um. Um, right. Okay. So you can get them on Netflix instant streaming. There are four seasons. There are four series total. Uh, we only have the first two. So that's what we're going to do this summer is uh, series one and two. If you don't have Netflix and are bitching and moaning about how we're doing something that you don't have access to, man, the fuck up. It's nine dollars a month. Come on. Let me let me let me let me also put it like this. Where I am, there isn't Netflix, but there's also more pressing kinds of piracy to worry about, like actual piracy, <laughs> like Somali piracy. Yeah. yeah. You, you bless the waffles down in Africa. I bless the waffles. Do I ever, man? Did you hear that the uh, the RIAA is trying to make the official term intellectual property theft? Because they realize that piracy just makes people think it's awesome. That's really interesting because, like, actually, um, 
there's like a documented case study of like um, like bringing intellectual property law uh, into the WTO. Um, And actually, it was industry, uh, a consortium of industry uh, interests that actually coined the term uh, piracy and framed it as a bad thing. So they're kind of uh, they're, they're kind of hoisted by their own petard now. Yeah, like they used to be called file sharing, and they're like, no, no, we should call it. Honestly, they should have kept it sharing, right? Like, what's lamer than sharing? <laughs> Piracy is awesome. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's jump in. Yeah, so skins. Yeah. <laughs> what is a skin? Is it's a rolling paper for cigarettes? Right? Is that what it, what they're referring to with the the title of the show? Yeah, I don't know. I mean. That's a good question. I mean, the, I, I also think, uh, I mean, Salt and Pepper talk a lot about hitting skins, um, mm-hmm. which I think means sex. Um, mm-hmm. Is that like, so I don't skins? know. Is that like bumping uglies? Um, I don't know. Hitting skins is just like kind of like making a noise. It's kind of like, like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I think the show's about. That's what I think the title of the show means. Right, yeah, rated X for for audio filth. Yeah, <laughs> this, this series. Um, <laughs> that's right. Well, I mean, that's right. So, so you know, if you this was that's right. That this was a um, um, a, a R-rated podcast before. Yeah, we have to get more vulgar to match the level of uh, of titties in the show. We could all just uh, podcast topless. You aren't. Yeah, and I guess I guess it'll be tough if we ever if we ever podcast about like kids or something like that. I'm not sure what we'll have to do uh, while we podcast to to sort of uh, keep a level of proportionality. It's okay, baby. It's me. It's Casper. <laughs> I love kids, man. <laughs> oh, I love that. I snuck into that movie before I was 18, and I stood in the back so that they wouldn't find me behind the last row, kind of crouching down behind the last row of chairs. <laughs> Which is funny. So, like, because, like, with reference to the under eighteen year olds in that movie, that's like a very tame and kind of like lame, a bad thing to do. Um, <laughs> and then also, also you know, I mean, like, it, like doing whippets and giving people AIDS. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like on a, on The Simpsons where they get a fake ID and they go see Naked Lunch, right? It's like that's not the kind of <laughs> rated movie that you're meant to be sneaking into. <laughs> And actually, that transitions nicely into the beginning of Skins, right? Because one of the first things that happens in the first episode is uh, you have the the character who's, like, in the bathroom in the morning. He's a teenager. His father is pounding on the door being like, what are you doing in there? And what he's doing is sitting on the toilet and reading Sartre's Nausea, right? As opposed to (laughs) masturbating, which I thought was an, an interesting choice. So what are you, what, why do you think that's uh, – uh, unpack that, please. Unpack it. Well, I think that um, it shows right away that that sex is not really the issue for, for this character. That's, that's Tony, right? Um, yeah. That's sort of the, the alpha male there. He's somebody who has sex when he wants to, and typically it seems like it's, it's at his girlfriend's behest, right? Like she, she rings him up, and he's like, oh, all right, I'll, I'll come around your place and, and jump your bones. Um, so rather, rather than masturbate, he reads very, very pretentious literature, um, and I don't mean that there's anything in particular wrong with Sartre, but I mean if you're a teenager and you're reading Sartre, yeah. that's a that's a lifestyle choice right there, right? <laughs> um, and like, and the the point of nausea, if I remember it right, is that it's about how kind of when we truly experience the world, it should be something that's horrifying to us. Right. But like when, when language slips and we, we experience the real thing, um, it, it ends up making us feel nauseous or making us feel bored is like the other big option there. And that might be kind of a, a tease as what this show is supposed to be about is real life for teenagers is nauseating and boring rather than like, you know, awesome and fun and sexy, which is kind of what the show is trying to sell itself as. So it's an interesting kind of like swerve, I would say, right there at the beginning. Well, I think it's interesting that the other thing that happens very, very early on, I guess maybe immediately after that scene, is um, 
uh, is, is that he sort of rings up, you know, he, he starts this massive multi-way party line, uh, you know, conference call slash like uh, phone chain with, with the whole crew. Right. And mm-hmm. it's, and already it's, it's sort of, you know, it's ostensibly about um, setting up the loss of, of uh, Sid's, uh, Sid's virginity, but it's kind of, that's kind of sec- secondary. What's that? I, th- I thought you were about to say the loss of his cognitive agenda. Um, no, but that is actually what it's really about. It's really about uh, setting a cognitive agenda and sort of like, you know, it's, it's that you know, this is, uh, you know, he, 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 he plays with, you know, you start to see this here and I think it's played out a little more as you uh, see the show go on that, um, you know, that, that this is sort of his, his the lives of his friends are sort of his, uh, are Tony's preferred medium. Um, that, you know, that, that, um, you know, most other things are kind of uninteresting and boring to him. Um, and so that this is a trope of a lot of, of teen, um, I mean, there, I think there are two tropes common to sort of, uh, teen artistic production, like, like literature and, and drama here. One is, um, one is sort of a deadened world, uh, where the, the, Teenage characters are the only source of, of sort of energy and eros and authenticity uh, in a world that is sort of otherwise dead. Uh, someone made the joke in our, in our kind of pre-show notes that we took together collaboratively on the waves um, that, uh, that the, the, the grown-up characters don't speak with a Charlie Brown trombone voice, but they may as well because, the, you know, they're all, they're all part of the kind of deadened world. And that... Um, uh, that so let's call that the uh, the Holden Caulfield trope, and the other one is the the Ferris Bueller trope, where there's there's a person who's uh, who is so good, who is kind of seen outside the system, or maybe who has kind of experienced the universe as it is, as opposed to you know within the constraints of what we call it, uh, to bring it back to Sartre and existential nausea, and he can he can sort of therefore pull the strings, he can kind of manipulate. Uh, everybody and things just kind of fall into place for him, like uh, as with Ferris Bueller. Yeah, that's interesting because I think the two tropes that you've outlined, right, are both sort of um, two. You're outlining two kind of male centric um, teenage like plot tropes, right? And which I think this is interesting because certainly, you know, as, as we've discussed before, Gossip Girl is very much a, a sort of matriarchal uh, society. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if we sort of discussed the. I mean, even in um, in in Glee, it, it goes back and forth of what, you know whether the starting point of view is you know whose point of view is the main point of view in Glee, or whether it is like is the plurality. Um, but I think that that like you know putting this um, in this uh, the 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 sort of male voice or the male sort of. Um, at the center is possibly something that's uh, distinct um, about uh, about skins. What do you think? At least uh, how they started off with uh, with the Tony episode. Yeah, as opposed to say Gossip Girl, where it it really seems to be like uh, society is a is kind of a matriarchy. Well, right. It's. A, I mean, I guess here's an interesting question. I, I know Jordan, you're not a Gossip Girl watcher, so uh, sorry. But like, I mean, in some ways, <laughs> I'll I mean, answer so, it anyway. Is, is, is Tony more like Blair or is he more like Chuck and why? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think he has sort of Blair's vulnerability, right? Mm. So that's interesting. So it's like, you know, it's a world. So it's a world without Blair, right? So it's, a, it's like, it's, it's a world. It's like where it's only you say you, you view Tony's world as like a, a world where um, like, you know, Chuck, Chuck Bass is the main is the main actor as opposed to a, a reactor and a, a sort of secondary agent or something. Yeah. Although I do think it's interesting that um, for all that Tony is the guy pulling the strings, it doesn't like after that first episode, he doesn't seem to be all that important. Right. Like if, if there's any character that seems even in the episodes that aren't specifically about them to be the one that is always going to be there and always has something to do, it seems to be Sid, who's kind of the, um, you know, the, the audience POV insert who can't really rule in this world. Right. So he needs to be introduced to everything, you know, and th- that's like the person who we're actually kind of following from episode to episode, I would say. 
That's a, that's a good point. But I think what, I mean, what, what sort of, um, you know, what, what Tony does is, is like, you know, is sort of set Sid's cognitive agenda, right? So he shows up at these very important moments that like mm-hmm. nudge things in like, um, in very definitive, uh, directions. I mean, you know, he's sort of, um, I mean, it's, it's more clear in the first episode because, um, that's what he's setting up, but even like his brief appearance in the Cassie episode, mm-hmm. um, you know, his sort of dismissive way of just like mentioning like food or I forget exactly the, the exchange, but he just shows up and like, by, like, you know, he's very much a less is more kind of guy, right. That like, you know, by what he doesn't say, um, both gets people to do things, right? He's, he's, he's kind of a con man in a lot of ways. Ryan, this may be um, a stretch, but is there a parallel to be made between uh, Tony's, let's say, management style and uh, <laughs> you know, certain kinds of governance and administration that rely heavily on delegation of executive power to uh, subordinate institutions or uh, you know, secretaries? <laughs> If, if if there were only like a place where that had like ever occurred, um, <laughs> I mean, are you, are you, I, mean I, I don't know, maybe this is not what you're asking, but I mean, what you're sort of sounding like, uh, what what it sounds like you're driving towards is is you know what was known as indirect rule, right? Um, is that is that what is that what you had in mind, or um, what? What I'm driving towards is the precipice of a of an urban lake. Uh, my you know my Mercedes station wagon is. Uh, <laughs> Is is right on the ledge, but why don't you take it and run with it? Wait, 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 wait! No, wait, wait, wait! Just, just uh, tease, tease your thing out a little more. But I can, I can talk about indirect rule and and colonialism if if it merits it. But I'm, I'm curious where you were going. Well, it's, it seems to me like, uh, you know, it seems to me like Tony. um, You're you're talking about him showing up at, uh, at uh, at least from the other character's point of view, him showing up at crucial moments, offering kind of a. a, uh, a kind of a correction or two or a, a cognitive agenda setting filling a kind of cognitive agenda setting kind of function and then sending the people off to um, sort of do do what they do it sounds like you know you have these autonomous uh, entities like um, you know like the drug procuring entity uh, or the the sex providing entity or you know what have you uh, or the you know hallucinating anorexic entity, whatever who are who are um, uh, who are governed by this kind of larger authority as the, as though he were the, the the secretary of you know as though he were the the secretary of getting some weed and you know she were the secretary of getting someone for Sid to sleep with and and uh, he doesn't do he doesn't do all these things himself but it's clearly his kind of will that sets that sets these these things in motion i think i mean i think uh, this is a stretch but because you are uh you know no no no, no but i all right so i see that and so i think i can even tie this back to what i was how i reacted as well so there's um a book called um called the functions of the executive um by by a man named uh, chester barnard um and he was a chester barnard was a AT&T or whatever AT&T was before it was AT&T, maybe like Bell Telephone um, executive in the, in the 1930s. Um, and he wrote like one of the earliest management texts. Um, but it's also contains within it uh, um, a theory of authority. Um, and like the main idea um, of, of the functions of, of the executive is that authority actually inheres in, in the sort of social relations between the the subordinates rather than in any characteristic of um of 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 the leader um and so that it's, it's so the authority is is distinct from from power or from from coercion or from even persuasion um in that it's 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 like you know voluntary or semi-voluntary compliance with an idea right so it seems like your idea um so that um a good manager or you know a effective manager or leader or executive, or um, in this case, you know, um, you know, sort of center of a clique, um, sort of operates by recognizing, um, you know, the 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 social structure and and sort of manipulating and pushing that in certain ways, right? And 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 so so it's less about even just um, um, you know delegating out to the 
the, the, the specific, you know, modulating the incentives of particular nodes, you know, these particular departments, but it's also about managing the relationships between these departments, right? And, and, um, and sort of what they want from one another, right? So that's the interesting thing about Tony is that he's not, you know, creating these things, but he also is, is very aware of, of, of how they're working, right? And, um, you know, very aware of, of, you know, not only that, like, you know, Sid wants to get laid, but actually that Sid um, is really in, in love with, um, you know, with his girlfriend, right? Um, and that, and, you know, that, um, so he's always thinking and what one thing will do with respect to how that will reverberate through this interconnected network of people. So I guess you look at the uh, the scene where he interrupts uh, Sid and Cass, and you say, "Is he dressed to be? Does he see that like that these two are forming a bond that he doesn't control, and he purposely disrupts that?" Yeah, I mean, I think he. I mean, especially we'll see this um, later on uh, in. Later on, in support that that he's that he's he's deliberately sort of disrupting that, you know that that he also wants to foster certain kinds of dependence on him, whether that's from Sid or from his girlfriend or from all of these people, right? He he, he I think it's in his interest uh, to have them dependent on him for small things, um, but uh, uh, and that's that's what makes them useful to him. I want to backtrack to something that uh, that. One of you said when you said that like uh, that Tony's preferred medium is his friends' social lives. Do you think that he's like deep down an aesthete, and that like he he thinks of this as a kind of art, or is it a kind of political action? And he's trying to to run the world to to exert power. Hmm. It sort of. I actually kind of. Sorry. No, you go. No, you, you, please, please. It all depends on what you mean by art, right? Um, I mean, it, it, you know. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> Real helpful. <laughs> I should, I, I should have gone. <laughs> I'm just going to move the question upstream about you know twenty yards, um, right? Because who's if this is a kind of art, then it's it's sort of for his benefit. When I think of this kind of thing, I think of the the shape of things. The Neil LeBute play that was filmed as a movie with uh, Paul Rudd and. Um, Rachel Weiss, right? Where she, uh, she, uh, do you guys know the plot? Well, maybe the listeners don't. I'll, I'll do it. She, uh, she, um, is like an art student, sort of a sadistic art student who befriends, uh, and then starts to date a schlubby, uh, fellow student at her school who's studying something else. And he, um, uh, gets him to lose weight, gets him to do all kinds of things, gets him to have plastic surgery and sort of through subtle manipulation uh, kind of reshapes him Pygmalion style uh, into more of an ideal boyfriend. And then, you know, at the end, the big reveal uh, is that she has been recording this, documenting it, filming it, things like this all along. And it's part of a big installation show um, and with, you know, before and after pictures of the guy and video pictures of them having sex and, uh, you know, uh, all, all of these things. Um, and that he has or his transformation has been essentially his work of art, uh, her work of art, rather. But that but it's put on in a gallery for a lot of people. And it's, you know, part of a school project in a way. If Tony's uh, creating some kind of art um, uh, for whose benefit is it? You know, who who is the intended audience of this? I guess us, you could say, but within the the storytelling universe, who's who is the intended uh, audience? I, I don't think there is one. I mean, I don't think there's anyone to sort of appreciate what he's created. And this is this is, I think, what argues against it in really fitting a definition of art. Well, but I mean, I mean unless, for... he, unless he is the only audience, right? That he's trying to, the, you know, like back to this issue of of you know. Um, sort of a certain, you know, boredom being a, a starting point that like, you know, if, if uh, that, that this is his only chance of, of sort of, you know, creating some enjoyment for himself is by, by creating something from, uh, from, 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 you know, his social, his social circle. I don't know. Right, because I mean, take that the plot in the first uh, episode, right? He's, he wants to uh, to get Sid laid, or I mean, 
it, it's really kind of ghoulish, right? He basically says, like, okay, so the plot here, Sid, is you're going to date rape someone. And everyone's like, yeah, all right. Right? Um, but, I mean, wh- why do that, right? I don't think for a second that um, clearly Sid wants to have sex. I don't think that Tony wants it for Sid because Sid wants it. Tony doesn't seem to have that kind of compassion, right? Um it doesn't seem to benefit Tony's social status in any way for his friend to have sex. You know, I mean, that, that's what he tells us. He says, like, you can't be my friend anymore in, until you get laid. But, you know, like, no one believes that for a minute, right? Like, who's, who's, uh, who's looking down at Tony because he's hanging around with this virgin? So, like, what's the, what's the reason for it? And I feel like part of it... Like, one of the few things I can imagine is that he sort of just wants to to see that happen, in a sense. And, and like, for not, not necessarily as art, but for aesthetic reasons, because it would be pleasing for him to watch. Yeah, and I think that that's also why, you know, and again, this is this is projecting a little further into the future, but, like, we, we haven't seen the... Um, the 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 end of the posh the posh kids or the posh girl um uh either uh that he that he you know um that the whose house the the party is at in this first uh first episode and it's you know he, he doesn't seem particularly romantically interested in her um or particularly happy or unhappy with his his girlfriend but um starts to say, you know so in some ways at least part of it seems to me, um, you know, with the benefit of, of having seen a few extra episodes, that at least, um, although the ostensible reason for going to this party is is getting um, is getting getting Sid laid, at least another uh, you know another ulterior motive is um, you know getting an in with this uh, with this girl or with this you know with yeah with that girl. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's talk about poshness for a minute, yeah. right? Because that, that's one of the really Let's. interesting things is that Tony is clearly the king of his, uh, his particular world, right? But within the broader society, he is, uh, I'm quoting, quoting lines from the show here, right? He's a common little oik who goes to a school where you don't have to pay money and isn't that, uh, isn't that fabulous, which is what some of like the, the socially higher up people say about him. And this is one of the places where watching Skins, I really wish that I either was British or knew more about Britain, because it's very easy for me to like take those things and analyze them and say, like, ah, we see, what we see here is British class structures and blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, it's like it's not something that I know a heck of a lot about. So I feel like I'm just being kind of bigoted if I say that uh, – that this is demonstrating something profound about British society. Well, maybe it's maybe it's demonstrating something mundane about British society. You know, you know yeah. what I mean. Which is that they li- they live with these they live with these distinctions. Um, how do you how do you tell class distinctions in America? You know, you you don't really know who's making a ton of money. I mean, I guess you do if you if you know like what restaurants they go to or something like that. But given people on the street, <laughs> given you know sort of our our non fashion fashion. Uh, I guess you could make some assumptions that would hold true, uh, that would hold true demographically, like based on race, but um, you don't know. But uh, in in Britain, it seems like you live with this kind of inbuilt sense of class, where you could be sort of racially similar, um, but uh, uh, which would be a big which would be a big marker of difference in America. But this kind of invisible status thing is is different about you and i think that's one of the hard things for americans to really get their heads around when they when we see things from britain that that deal with an issue of class one way skins addresses it is by uh you know having the posh people talk funny you know mm-hmm. and i mean it, it's not just it's funny within the within the universe of the show it's not just funny to us i mean by the you know the number of reactions that it gets from the the state school kids right um you know my fronds uh, or that's totally safe, you know, yeah. which I thought was, was funny. That's a, that's a weird synonym for cool. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe well, and it's interesting because like when they have that, that actress and I think she does a great job, she like, yeah. she's using that word. Um, and she doesn't know what it means. Like, so it would be totally like, there's a slight hitch safe. And she kind of like makes eye contact with her friends, like, "Did I use the slang right?" Whereas when the uh, like the main characters when they say it, it's like it's much more in passing. They're like, "Oh, safe," 
you know, and like you, you don't notice it as what a strange piece of slang. Well, as- they, I thought they picked it up from. I thought they picked it up from her, right? Like uh, the only time I remember it uh, being used is at the end of the party when everyone is running out. One of the characters <laughs> says to the other, kind of mocking, "Well, that was totally safe," or something like that. I think. No, I don't. I mean, I, I think that uh, like it could could be a little of both. Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe we're. I think there's something interesting about this. I mean, we haven't yet brought up that um, Skins is scheduled to to be to be to have a expansion into the U.S. market. I mean, that there's going to be a U.S. version of Skins um, that. Uh, will be airing, I think, on MTV. Um, and it's going to be set in Baltimore, um, of all places. Um, because this, you know, because Skins, Skins really? is set in... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Uh, which is really interesting, right? Because, um, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, just drink it in. Just drink it in. Yeah. It's really great. Uh-huh. Episode one, canard. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's uh, U.S. Skins uh, season one slash The Wire season six. Um huh. Um, but I, I think what's interesting there is that, you know, they, um, cause of what, so, so skins is set in Bristol, right. Um, yeah. which is kind of a more, you know, a, a, a town, um, or city in, in, in England that has a substantial working class popu- population, I believe. Um, and so that, you know, that it makes sense to sort of, um, right. You, you can get at some of these class issues, um, and there are some um, some race issues that come up um, a few episodes uh, down the road. Um, but like when I was reading an article about um, about the the U.S. the planned U.S. series, they said, "Oh, we wanted a you know to choose a diverse um, a, you know a, a sort of economically and racially diverse uh, city in um, in America." So we chose um, you know we we chose Baltimore, but it's just it's not going to have that effect. Um, you know. You know, the, you know, we we have friends from college from Baltimore, and as much as as much as he likes to like talk about like uh, the wire as being about his, and there's no way that you know his social circle, you know, could ever you know has direct way with the social circle uh, that's depicted in in the wire. So I just I don't think that you know that setting it. In Baltimore is going to have the same setting and Baltimore is not going to have the same effect in part because this issue class distinction that, that is, um, you know, readily available and not correlated with race. It's just, a, it's a different structure of, of class and, and the sort of um, the, the structure of the layering of economic inequality and, and sort of social inequality is, is just, is, is different. For those people who are a little frustrated by the the cutting in and out, hey, this is a this is like a three time zone, two continent uh, Skype call. So shut your fucking mouth. So you you lost a lot of that, huh? No, 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 a lot no. of we that. Actually, yeah. But I think we I think we got the I think we got the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, right. I, I every, think so. You're saying that every, every three out of every four words that I say are actually uh, important. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, for all of you who are frustrated by that, we were just bleeping out all of like the curse words and spoilers <laughs> that Ryan does that are too extreme even for us. Right. Yeah, even we, <laughs> uh, even I have standards, you know. Horse cock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, missed one. <laughs> um, the, the posh kids are kind of a drag, aren't they? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? Their 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 liquor isn't as good, right? They have like what rum punch, uh, you know. <laughs> Tony says, "Oh, we love rum punch." You know, their their music is good. There's pretty much not a uh, there's not an aspect of their lives that doesn't come in for for ridicule. I mean, to the to the carpets and the and the to the carpets and whether they match the wallpaper or not, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was in, I was trying to figure out whether their music is actually mocked or whether it's they just have the wrong relationship with the music. Which is that what you see because you see Tony and um, Tony and his girlfriend dancing and none of the posh kids are dancing like them. You know? Yeah, yeah, and, and that yeah, like, when and they, they dance, the... like when they dance, they like dance in like a very right. They dance what is very you know would be. You know, we would call it, it's very white dancing, right? Yeah, they, they do the white people dance like this dance. 
is what is kind of what they do. Sure. Right. I mean, but poor it, people, gr- but poor people grind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining now like the, I, I'm, I'm going to censor myself. Oh, <laughs> uh, why start now? <laughs> Are you sure this is really, the, this podcast is really a place for you then? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, well, uh, should we, anything else from this episode or you want to move on to, uh, to number two, Cassie? You know, I don't remember whether it was this episode or not, but I think it makes actually a, a nice sort of parting shot tying up what we were saying. Um, there are some race, race issues in this show, right? Uh, and I think that it's in this one where, like, they have their, like, their one black friend they're sitting with at lunch. And he starts talking and, like, none of them can understand a word that he's saying. That's, because that's, that's episode two. That's the cast. Is that two? Yeah. Okay. There's a good transition then into episode two. Um, and, like, I don't think you could make that joke in America, right? That, like, the politics would not quite allow it. The Wire does have episodes where they can't, like, it's, it's an important point that they can't understand what, like, the, uh, the hood kids are saying. Um, and That's it is my kind of dog. Funny. That's my dog. I put a bullet in his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's not in the same kind of way where, like, when, when this kid starts up, it's not like uh, they're saying, like, wow, there's a big class uh, division here and it's making it hard to communicate. They're just like, oh, my God, he's he's gone insane yeah. or something like this that. Guy, this guy talks funny. Um, though, have you seen Pootie Well, there is an implication with that. Like, I, I mean, with I mean, I don't know if we see it with this character. But again, when we see Jal's uh, brothers in a few episodes that that actually that. Um, and I think even possibly with this character that like a little bit of his accent is also an affectation. Um, mm. and that, and so they're, they're also kind of mocking the affectation of a, you know, cause, cause like, cause I mean, these guys aren't necessarily like, you know, none of like, you know, the, the, the characters depicted are like, um, you know, like are, are urban poor, they're, they're middle class. Right. So I, I think, mm. I think we kind of believe that even, the um their 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 black friends are also middle class and so and and but the sort of um the 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 slang that he adopted was um you know was 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 much more you know um you know much more what i guess you know it's it's what i know from like listening to like i don't know dizzy rascal or something sure, sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's like, and the people who speak that naturally probably aren't going to be going to a sixth form college at all. Right. Whether it's yeah, a public yeah, one or exactly. a private one. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that that, yeah. So I think that, the, uh, yeah, that's how I kind of read that. So well, it's, it's, uh, it's simplistic to say that, uh, where in America we have race issues, England has class issues instead. There is a little bit of a degree to which that is true because like they're, they're able to mock race in a way that it's very difficult for us to do. I mean, you can have something like Pootie Tang where that's, that's like the whole point of the entertainment is to sort of play with that stereotype. And you can have something like uh, the various sketches that Chappelle's show does that like that deal with that. But to just sort of throw it in, in a show that's fundamentally about something else is something that America will not really allow you know, someone would censor that before it yeah, actually got up. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, is this like the difference between the history, the legacy of colonialism versus the legacy of slavery? <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> As I'm, I'm sitting in the legacy of one of them right now. <laughs> uh yeah, well, there's this kind of, I mean, I mean, there's this kind of, and it's slightly mannered, but skin seems to be out to skewer a lot of these politically correct areas. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think yeah. England is is dealing with its own and, you know, so is so is France. Right. I think Western Europe is dealing with uh, waves with kind of race or ethnic or ethnic slash religious issues, too, with like waves of immigration from North Africa or from Muslim countries, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or 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 things like this to, to the point where there's this kind of polyglot, multi-ethnic uh, London. Um, yeah. And, you know, it'll be really interesting. I'm sure that we're going to get a, an episode about Anwar, right? Like, eventually. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Uh, the, um, I was about to say, uh, for, for London, not Bristol, but London, uh, see Zadie Smith's White Teeth, right? The novel, uh, her, her first novel. 
Um, hey, you know what? Before we get into eating disorders, can, can we actually talk about fucking for a little bit? Because... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually, usually the latter gets me in the mood for the former, but sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> however, you want to do it. Yeah, you're not censoring yourself at all, are you? <laughs> Horse cock. <laughs> Episode title. Horse cock. Uh, I thought I thought you had come up with a better one that Ryan had put out, but we'll see if it if it comes out. Um, so, uh, right when they're at. When they're at, let's let's just catalog the kind of the sexual things in the show, right? The beginning of episode one, I think Tony's uh, uh, bedspread is brilliant, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even at the end, even at the end, when he and Sid are laying in bed together, and uh, he's laying uh, with his neck by the guy face uh, face down, and Sid is laying uh, with the the his you know the girl face up it's like he he's an asshole and and uh, and he's sort of a pussy right like and this is the, <laughs> you know this is exactly what they're uh well, I mean, I think that that the point is being made about their characters, uh, you know, not to be too crude or anything. Um, that this is what this is what's being said about them. There's the the woman across the way who it turns out is married to the um, the uppity teacher from the posh school, uh, who is uh, which is kind of a throwaway, right? Like I feel like that's like one of these things that happens in like a pilot, right? Where it's like you, maybe these are going to be important characters and then they're not. Right. <laughs> well, it, it's true. It opens up a lot of areas that it could go into. It's a good pilot in in that sense. Though I'm actually I'm right. not sure that that Britain has quite the same system of uh, pilot and series oh. that we have. I mean, maybe the whole thing got ordered and they they made the first eight as a um, just as a unit. I, I don't know. It's um, interesting though because I feel like the first one does feel a little different in in tone. You know, I, like even in the first episode, it's not clear. It's actually not obvious from the first episode that the next episode would be about Cassie because right. she joins kind of late. And I actually read her as being a very minor character. And uh, and so it almost seemed that she was written like that and then, you know, sort of was given a, a, a larger role almost immediately. So, I mean, so it's odd. It would be I'd be surprised to learn that. But I, I, you're right that I don't know much about how they're. Um, about the business end of, yeah. uh, of of British TV, you know, I don't know, I don't know either. Any British television writers in our audience who who are not offended yet by by <laughs> what you said? Um, so, well, look, uh, I mean, if any, do you really think that any like like these these listeners and they're they're wonderful listeners are, are with us? They're they're with us to the end at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> We've been through some shit together. I'll tell you what. <laughs> if, you've, if you've listened to the Experimental Noise Collective episode, you have, uh, yeah, you've really come with us through thick and thin. Let's put it like this. We are Tony. They are Sid. All right? Like... <laughs> we are Pootie Tony. And we're, and we're, and, and we, they can't be our listeners the anymore if, unless they lose their virginity. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a real drag on us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um. That's that's terrible, Ryan. You're a terrible role model because I happen to know that we have a lot of in our audience. We have a lot of actual teenagers. So you know, I don't mean that. I don't mean a lot of what let, I say. Don't <laughs> let Ryan. Don't let Ryan pressure you into making bad decisions, horsecock. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Sid Sid is is jerking off with a or uh, as the British say, wanking uh, with a magazine uh, called Asian Fanny Fan. Uh, Fanny means um, Fanny means the other side in Britain, <laughs> not the not the side that it means in uh, in America. Right. Uh, so you really don't want to talk about. It. So you think suspenders are are something? <laughs> don't talk about fanny packs. Don't yeah. talk about fanny packs in England. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it means, it means something totally means something totally different. Um, it's interesting. Know. Part of that uh, part of that same montage. Uh, has Tony calling up all of his various friends, and he refers to several of the women by their body parts. Right. right? Like, he calls his girlfriend uh, yes. Nips, and he talks, is like, oh, buck teeth, right, is like his his friend's girl or something like that. Yeah, or at least the girl that, that he's he's banging at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Nailing. I'm trying yeah, go, you, were, you were doing your catalog of the sex in the show. Well, let's, so, I mean... You know, for a show, uh, so does anyone actually, I guess with buck teeth, but does in these first two shows, does anyone actually, who actually has sex? 
the Polish girl with uh, small dick Chris, right? Yeah. In the back of the car while everyone else is going to the hospital. That's a great scene. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like there there isn't a ton of it. Like, kind of much like being a teenager, there's a, there's a lot of talk about it and not actually a ton of it going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the attitude, you know, the attitude towards it, towards drug use, towards all, towards all these kind of uh, controversial things, seems to be. Um, it seems to be very cavalier, but again, that may be like that may be like actually being a, a, a teenager too, where it's where it's kind of all cavalier talk, and uh, you know, this is not this is not the universe of the wire. Um, but there, there's a uh, but there's also I mean there is a fair amount of moral ambiguity, right? That that these things you know all of this you know there's there's drug deals and sort of talk of virginity lost, possibly a Polish girl dying, and. You know, these are like not bad things, no, we right? This uh, later, so we know they got out. Right, 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 right. Well, we know that Chris got out. We don't know. We don't know for sure that the Polish girl got out. <laughs> yeah. Unless her name was Dor- unless her name was Dorota, and now she is, um, and now she is a, is a maid, um, or maybe she's like one of the, like the secondary maids in Chasing Dorota, the fine, fine webisode. Associated with yeah. us. Well, this is, I mean, Ryan, in the, in our kind of notes in the Google wave beforehand, you brought up, um, uh, you brought up, what the hell did you bring up? Oh, after, after school, school specials. specials. Right. Where there's, uh, where there's, and this seems to get into a lot of the areas of the ap- after school specials, but the, without the strong moral. Was that, I mean, was that your point or did you want to? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, I mean, there are definitely, I don't know what it is, um, uh, um, at certain points during the the Cassie episode, I definitely like had this mental alarm going off of oh, this is veering towards um, after school special. I think this is because you know I hadn't yet we hadn't even totally decided whether we were going to watch Skins, and you know within like the first episode, like I liked, um, but then the second episode, I was still not sure how well it fit within the sort of. Um, you know the the mission of 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 this of of, of these fucking teenagers, um, in part because it was unclear, you know, whether this was, um, you know, what the in some sense, like, you know, what the sort of the the moral direction of the the show was. But I think that I mean, it definitely, <laughs> you were right. scared that it was going in the direction of having any kind of moral compass, and you wanted nothing to do with that. <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting thing. I mean, right? Like, so do you think, like, it would be, I mean, I think it would be interesting if we have time to also at some point, like, watch and discuss, like, De- Degrassi High School or Degrassi Junior High, um, which has very clear, like, it's just on the soap opera side of, um, of after school special, right? Um, but there are, like, life lessons, right? So you deal with lots of the same issues, um, but like someone like learns um, a, a a lesson, right? And that there is there is resolution. Um, and and you know, interestingly, we've talked about after school special um, with respect to how some of these same issues are, um, ta- are 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 dealt with in Glee and Gossip Girl as well. Like often, a lot of Jenny Humphrey plots we dismiss as being very after school special, right? The the Jenny going wild plot and the Jenny getting like roofied plot and like the Jenny I don't know every Jenny plot, right? Um, and in Glee. There's like the 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 pseudofedrin plot and the um, and also the the eating disorder plot. There, um, both have the way that in which they're resolved. Um, it's not that I think that I think in, in some ways I think that the the, the type of resolution that's moved towards or uh, the the lack of resolution and the the clear ambiguity um, in 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 skins is actually makes it a more interesting like moral text that, that like, in fact, um, you know, shows that say there's an easy resolution and provide a, a guy, a guy, a pathway are actually not teaching important moral lessons. Like moral reasoning is more important than, um, a, a, a moral, a moral compass that you follow. Or, that, that, or, that, or a, like a moral, a moral stricture. I was, I was thinking about this with respect to, um, and I, something that I think we, we may get into if we have time with the Cassie stuff, uh, which is the responsibility of narrative, right? Um, uh, especially uh, I, people get very exercised about it uh, around issues like eating disorders because uh, 
and and around a lot of uh, sort of issues of, of very serious suffering or oppression that that people go through. That like there's a sense um, there's a sense in which uh, you know people feel like the narrative is responsible to depict experience uh, in a way that it, that lines up with their. Uh, political aims or what what they imagine good political aims are contrast to show like the the wire um, where uh, not that well it is our stock example for everything good about television I guess um, <laughs> where you know there isn't a moral really but there are consequences that are taken seriously you, you know that is to say uh, it it mm. operates in a in a real world kind of um, uh, set of rules where where actions have reactions and those those implications are all played out right and i th- i think i think the thing that skins w- will what we'll discover as it goes on or not um maybe maybe even with the cassie stuff and the eating disorder right is that are are the implications just dropped or are they played out sort of from mm-hmm. uh from from episode to episode and and that will i think allow us to make a um uh, to make a determination about the the kind of moral voice, the moral center of the yeah. show, because I mean, here, well, you know, it, I look. It was it was suggested. It, we got a great reading response. Um, yeah. Beforehand, uh, from oh, I forget her name. From someone, uh, Amelia, uh, Amelia from Santa, Barbara. Amelia from Santa Barbara, California, who um, uh, who is a, uh, a therapist in training, a clinician in training. Um, working with uh, uh, working on issues of, of eating disorders, and some of these issues came up in what Amelia said um, that have to do with uh, uh, that have to do with you know what is the responsibility of of uh, portraying English, what is the responsibility of a narrative that portrays an eating disorder? She brought up something interesting, which was that like in a way the the um, some of the stuff in the Cassie episode, like water loading before your weigh-ins, or you know carrying weights in your pocket, or you know tricks to just sort of people. sleight of the sleight of hand, uh, hiding the right. That there's there's a kind of how-to element um, to these uh, to these things, and that this is this may be considered in some sense irresponsible. Um, Although she goes on to say that anyone with an eating disorder who's watching this probably already knows all those tricks. And you know what? They're all, they're all over the internet because the, and you know, she refers to, I I won't refer to them because I, I, you know, I kind of don't want to give them any airtime, but like um, to the kind of eating disorder, kind of perverse eating disorder support communities. Um, I just don't want to. I just don't want to increase the total of suffering in the world. Horsecock. <laughs> there we go. There's a good palate of horsecock to really to break the tension. But you, you know, you know what I mean. That that um that these these support communities exist to help people with eating disorders continue their eating disorder, right? Um, it, it seems perverse to call them that, but but there you have it. Uh. And that you know this this shouldn't be like this, and this this I think is what got me thinking about you know what is the what is the responsibility of a narrative when you come up to uh, issues of of disease suffering or oppression yeah and I, and think, I, mean, the, I think that sorry go ahead Jordan so this is one of like the the great classic questions about entertainment is you know what what is its what is it for is it yeah. to build a better society if so. How can we do that? You know, is, is it by only playing things in the, the masculine Dorian mode? Is it by uh, proper socialist realism and depe- depicting the worker's struggle? Is it by making sure that, you know, um, any character that smokes marijuana in Act 1 will be hit by a train in Act 3 or et cetera, et cetera? Right. <laughs> that's like that's like Chekhov's dime bag, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Actually, um, <laughs> looping looping back on uh, very very briefly to Glee, one of the things that I think separates the Glee sort of after school specialty episodes from actual after school specials is that they don't ever hit bottom. Like you see, all the kids taking drugs. And the drugs are working out for them. And then they decide, you know what, we don't really want to be these people. We're going to stop. What you don't get is sort of the, the Jesse Spano scene where the drugs exactly, yeah. become horrible. <laughs> and it's the same thing with, like, uh, with Mercedes's incipient eating disorder. Like, she 
starves herself for a while. It ruins her mood. She never damages her health. And she decides, you know what, this is like, this is a silly thing to do. I'm not going to let the system drag me down in that way. Which I think that's, that's like a really interesting difference because it takes that element of moral horror out of the equation. And that element of moral horror is really, really important to the classic uh, after-school special, you know, um, aesthetic, basically. Look at something like Skins, or, or even like, go, go further, right? Look at Kids, which is deeply, deeply yeah. amoral in terms of like how the characters behave. But that sense of horror while you're watching it is right there. You know, um, and I, I feel like, you know, complicated. Some and, 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 and then there's Gummo, which makes kids look like an after school special. Like, <laughs> well, you're a big Harmony Corinne fan. It actually makes sense. It fits right in. It fits right in with what we know. Hey, man, about you. I, I got to put this. I actually haven't seen it yet, but there's another Harmony Corinne film called Trash Humpers, uh, that, <laughs> oh, which is about seen- exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Trash Humpers, but uh, you should you should check out Julian Donkey Boy uh, if you like uh, kids and Gummo so much. Um, in, in kids, though, right. So like kids is not just I think there are two influences on, on kids. One is Harmony Corinne. The other is Larry Clark, uh, the photographer turned film director for kids. And and uh, like the the um, the scenes of the kids misbehaving are so beautifully shot. A lot of them such vibrant colors, so kinetic, kind of irresistibly kinetic that I think you can I think you can make the ki- the case that like the moral horror is complicated somewhat by the the aesthetic qualities, by how mm-hmm. aesthetically beautiful certain of the um, you know, certain of the things are. And this is I mean, this is like this is a question older even than Baudelaire, right, who wrote uh, Le Fleur de Mal, um, you know, the flowers of of evil. Uh, about you know, can I describe the rotting corpse and make it you know make it beautiful through through art and and that this kind of um, this kind of uh, 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 dichotomy is is really as old as art. Yeah, and I mean actually, so that brings it back to something else I was saying. Right, one of the classic ideas about art is that it can build a better society. Right, so art is good in that it is morally good. This Another is, this is the Aristotle's poetics idea. Yeah. And then there's another one, um, which is, you know, probably more the Baudelaire line, which is art in itself can make the evil good by making it beautiful, which is sort of a transcendent end in itself that doesn't need to go any further. And I feel like that's um, for all that we say that The Wire engages with serious social issues. The Wire is not actually doing anything to improve the condition of Baltimore's inner city. When people get amped up about The Wire as being the greatest TV show ever, they're taking that second route and saying, like, because The Wire is such a wonderful work of art, therefore it transforms, like, the evil of drugs and the evil of systemic corruption into a positive good. And I don't think that a lot of people think that through consciously, but I think that's what a lot of the arguments boil down to. If you were to, like, sit someone, aside, sit someone down and say, like, well, okay, why does it matter that the dialogue is so good? You know, why does it matter that they planned out every episode over the season and nothing is wasted? They'd eventually say, well, it matters because I like to be entertained. Which is interesting because, you know, the, um, is that you know one of our... Uh, yeah. Sorry, you go right. Well, I'm thinking because I'm, I'm, you know, um, one of on one of the earliest episodes of of this show, uh, the episode entitled um, "Gossip Gossip Girl: Implications for uh, for Public Policy." Right. We discussed a bit about a panel that I attended, um, that uh, panel discussion called "The Wire: Implications for Politics and Public Policy," um, and it was three social scientists and um, and three three actors from from The Wire. Who really um, tried to try to you know to say that this has implications for how urban policy is made, um, but it, it wasn't you know it, it actually wasn't as satisfying on that front. It was satisfying because like Omar was there. Um, you know. <laughs> Wait, was Omar really there? <laughs> yeah, Omar was there. Uh, Omar. Who, who were who were the actors? There. Omar, Sonia Sohn, right? Sonia Sohn. Uh, who was uh, Michael? Is it Michael? No, Kima. Smith. Oh yeah, Kima Sonia's son. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, was it Andre Royo? Why do I remember this? And you, Andre Royo. Yeah, yeah. Um. So Jordan, like when when uh, what you said made me think of Charles Dickens, right? Um, because he also straddled that line between 
a kind of um, social expose of uh, you know serious kind of social problems and and uh, lower class suf- suffering mm-hmm. uh, in um, in the industrial revolution and also very aesthetically perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. works, works of art where you know the plot right. is extremely extremely intricate and I you know I, I think that like um, I think David Simons puts himself in that camp right there's a lot of talk in even in season 5 about the Dickensian aspect right um, sure. I, mean, Dickensian, and both- I mean like Dickensian is used in a lot of ways but it, it, it some, like sometimes referring to like urban decrepitude or the problems of the yeah. lower class but but I, I mean I think it also you could extend it to like a, um, a kind of a systematic expose of a, of a social problem yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and serialized yeah, well, drama, yeah. right uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. exactly. Like serialization. Yeah, good point. Um, w- which is how his novels were originally experienced, though we though we t- tend to get them in a single volume. Um, the um, I mean, that's, I think that's a very a difference, an important difference between um, after school specials and all of the shows that we're considering here is that uh, after school specials are almost exclusively uh, purely episodic, right? <laughs> um, whereas um, all of the shows. Uh, that we, we discuss here are, to a lesser extent, uh, serialized, right? Yeah. It is only in that they're episodic that they are special. If they were ongoing series, there would be after-school commons, right? <laughs> after-school normals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right, and, and I think that, like... Uh, hmm... You know, I you can take you can take Dickens' response and Karl Marx's response right mm-hmm. to to kind of industrial revolution, uh, post-industrial revolution conditions in London, uh, right? Because it, uh, it was London that Marx saw that kind of got him all hot and bothered, right? That you know when when he observed those conditions, it made him go and write um, uh, Das Kapital and uh, and the Communist Manifesto. Um, I, I think you can take them as different things because, like, you know, Marx wrote a call for actual revolution in, in the real world. Dickens wrote these aesthetically perfect, um, these aesthetically perfect sort of uh, art, uh, artistic artifacts that, uh, that do the social, uh, that address the social problem. And, I, I, you know, I think, like, maybe it's not, maybe it's not necessary for, for art to provide a, uh, uh, you know, a social call to action. Maybe it's enough as and still to still be social responsible if you sort of change people's views. I mean, if you kind of open people's eyes to something that that wasn't there, or or you know, make them see the world in a different way. And actually, yeah, you know, we talked we talked about this a bit when we also talked about explicitly about political art in the on the uh, Overthinking It podcast when we talked about the uh, MIA music video for uh, Born Free, right, with the. Uh, the, the right. ginger kids in the concentration camp. Um, I think, I think, I think that's right. Um, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that there's though a, a, a different, I think that, you know, there's uh, between Karl Marx um, and, uh, and, and, and Dickens is, is, is something that, you know, you could call like sort of political art, right? Like, I don't know, Upton Sinclair is between these two. Right. And so I think that it's, it's not about, do you write sort of, you know, political tracts or sort of, you know, so do you write social science? But like what kind of, I think it may be a different question, what kind of art is effective political art um, or social sort of uh, criticism art? And I think that, I mean, you know, I would contend that it's that, or, or you know, like, or, or even uh, like morally instructive. Um, you know, I think that that's, I think, um, I don't know if if the moral message of um, after school specials is like intrinsically sort of decreases the artistic merit or the sort of um, the the, the uh, aesthetic merit, um, or that they just happen to be also not having great production values in writing and plotting. Um, but that you know, it seems that you know, this is how we got on on this discussion to begin with. That um, it, that there are at least. There seems to be a relationship in some of the the shows that we value between this kind of moral ambiguity and a sort of satisfying aesthetic, um, uh, a, a satisfying aesthetic um, uh, sort of quality, and um, a sort of usefulness from a discursive point of view. Of of you know we are we're talking about skins. We're, we're talking about um, gossip girl. We're talking about the wire. We're not talking mostly about. 
um, uh, after school specials, you know? But I mean, I, I think you, you kind of like said two things. You're saying that, um, there seems to be a correlation. You're not going to say it's causal yet, but there seems to be a correlation between. Uh, yeah, I haven't gotten to do. I have gotten to do an experiment, but yes. Yeah, um, there is like high production values and moral ambiguity and interesting from a like interesting and perhaps effective from a political point of view. You're saying like all yes. three of those tie up together. Yes. Yes. Whereas I'm, I, I'm, I'm I like I mean, thinking about. Sorry. As like we we can fight this out. I, I'm I could stand to be convinced otherwise, but I would say that actually um, only those first two hold. That things are that like moral ambiguity is in itself an aesthetic value for for modern modern art, not in the sense of like oh the museum of modern art, but art that is being made these days. But I don't think in that necessarily modern. makes it more yeah. or less politically effective. Okay, so then I guess that's an interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's comes down to both what I value as art and of effective political action, right? Um, um, Not to back out to a, um, you know, not not to take a a, a total relativist cop out, Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, that'd be an interesting, like, you know, what is a you know, at least even within the sort of, let's just stick within the genre that we're working in of, of like either of television shows or teen television shows. What is one that like, can you come up with an example of an effective piece of teen media with a very clear, like sort of moral social message that is also that you consider to be good artistically. Hmm. Let's end on that note. Hey, audience, yeah. can you think of one? <laughs> um, something that is, that is both socially responsible and... Oh, come on. I want I to hear Jordan squirm a little more. <laughs> Horsecock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the... Uh, uh, so the, the email address where you can write in, we already got a great reading response from uh, Skins Episode 1 and 2, but we would also be interested in getting yours and your reading response to this, uh, this episode. 500 words. Uh, you know, <laughs> Times New Roman, 12-point, double-spaced. <laughs> right, right, right. One, one inch well, margins. 1.5-inch margins, yeah, yeah. I don't want to see anyone using the courier font. <laughs> you know, I'll, heaven help me if you use courier. <laughs> uh, that that uh, can be sent to tftpodcast at overthinkingit.com. That's a new email address, tftpodcast at overthinkingit.com. Or I would love to get some uh, some voicemails. I like playing voicemails on the show. Uh, that number is 203-285-6401. That's 20 fat jog zero one. Uh <laughs> In light of right, that's our social. That's our social responsible. Too soon. Responsible message. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> fat. Don't starve yourself. Jog. Um, right. Uh, and we're also on the Twitters. Well, it's TV. not. It's not fat. Question mark. Jog. Period. <laughs> sure it is. It's punctuated. However, I want 20, 20 to. Don't put you fat. Jog. <laughs> um. Uh, we're on the Twitters at TFT Podcast. That's twitter.com slash TFT Podcast. Though we can't live tweet the shows uh, like, we, like we have before. Um, you can find skins on, uh, if it's not uh, on Netflix, uh, instant streaming, then it's on the waffles. And you can, uh, you can find it there. Um, you can find it to watch the, uh, the socially responsible or not art. You can find it to watch the uh, the dis- depi- depiction of the British class system. You can find it to watch the the people who don't talk right. You can find it to watch these fucking snogging teenagers. <laughs> these shagging, <laughs> wanking. These wanking teenagers. These wanking, snogging, shagging. Uh, <laughs> Fanny fans of teenagers. Hey, I will say I can't think of a teen drama, but I was looking around and uh, the the William Hogarth engravings, Gin Street and Beer Lane, are deeply heavy-handed in their politics, but still pretty great pieces of art. I would say. Fair enough. <laughs>